0: was telling Cheryl, she's not being honest with us. She, you know, she's she's telling us she dabbled in witchcraft. That's baloney, man. That stuff that's going around through this house at night is not something that happens when you dabble. So anyway, it culminated to us. Uh, we were on our way to a a camp in Oregon. I was the speaker at a camp. On that trip, we went through an Indian reservation and it was Winnemucca the large indian reservation in nevada and when we came onto the reservation and i I was driving over 100 miles an hour because we'd had to stop because she would go demonic and we'd have to stop and rebuke demons and and i was falling behind and i was going to be late to be the keynote speaker at this event so i was doing over 100 miles an hour and when we came onto that indian reservation all the doors of the van we were in a, a chevy van all the doors came open, all the seat belts unlatched and and this spirit tried to throw her out onto the highway uh, at 100 miles an hour. Fortunately she was a little gal. I grabbed her by the hand. She was on the passenger front. I grabbed her by the hand and pulled her back in. thankfully she got the van stopped without anybody dying but it, it was quite a wild ordeal. There was a spirit that had taken her over and I said, I said, who are you? And it said, I'm the power spirit of the Winnemucca Indian nation. And I said, "Uh, what are you doing in Ramona? And this spirit laughed at me and says, Ramona, huh? you don't even know who she is. You don't even know who she is.
1: Well, you know, uh, welcome back to Blurry Creatures podcast where Luke and I, we started this, you know, kind of in the whole, what the heck's going on in our world era. And, you know, we're bringing on a pastor today who kept his church open through everything. He kept his church open through the the whole COVID thing. And it's hard to do in places, maybe in the South, that's not so hard to do, but he did it in Northern California and dave is you know regardless of, of right. where you are and sort of looking back in history and thinking about what happened and all the narratives and who was in power and why not and politics and stuff you got to understand that like you know it takes a lot of courage to stand up in the middle of those times and stick to your guns and and realize that we're this is a spiritual war we're all in and i think we've done we made a good case on this podcast that you know we most of us Kind of grew up a little bit asleep, asleep to all the blurry stuff going on all around us. Unless you have experiences at a young age with the spiritual realm, a lot of it is just stories, and that's how we learned. But today we're praying it on Pastor Dave Bryan from Church of Glad Tidings, which hits which hits home for me because that's where I would prepare every tour I was on. I can't believe how you know we would we would practice at his church and. Yeah, small world. S- Very s- small, small world. Small world, But you can see spirit of Dave in this episode. I hope you guys give this an open mind because I, I get it. You know, our podcast can sort of blow the doors off a lot of a lot of things. And Luke and I ask questions and sit back and let people take us for the ride. And we don't really grill people or yell at this debate going. It's just, hey, what have you learned? What have you been through about it? In in, in, a, in a sort of a a, a comfortable space. A safe space, a blurry space. Yeah, a
2: blurry space. No, and Dave's been in the game for a long time, doing doing his his ministry. And you know, like with a lot of people, deliverance stuff is a is a hot button, right, in church spaces and Christian spaces. And so, you know, Dave's got a lot a lot of years under his belt, you know, interacting with the spiritual realm and then the supernatural. And that's a lot of what we talk about, you know, whether it be. You know, Dr. Mike Heiser in his book *The Unseen Realm* it's just bringing the supernatural paradigm back into back into focus for for Christians. And you know, Dave is 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 doing it. He's living it out. He, he's you know he, he's putting one foot in front of the other in, in this space. So, uh, we're grateful for his time. He's got a some crazy stories. Some of these stories, you know, have been out there on the internet and made waves. And so, we've been trying to do this for a while. Actually, met David Birthright Tim. Grateful for to have Dave on to tell, share his stories and share about his ministry. As, as with all, the, it was all of our episodes, you know. As Nate said, keeping in mind and you know, I think I think Dave's stories are are worth listening to and worth thinking about.
1: So, yeah, let's get Dave on the show and uh, see what he has to say. All right, welcome to the podcast, uh, Dave Bryan, you pastor of the Glad Tidings Church in Yuba City. We, uh, which is dear to my heart, that was uh, lo and behold, where our my band would rehearse in the space in, in in the offices in the back before all of our tours back in the day. The Greenens family, obviously, Joe was in was in Sherwood, so I spent a lot of time there in Yuba City getting ready for every tour that we went on so thank you so much for uh i love what you guys do i love the the boldness you, you guys had especially during the last couple of years you guys just kept going doing your thing and i and i think that was the right decision now that we're looking back yeah to uh to just hey we're gonna keep going we're gonna keep doing us and we're not gonna shut down and we're not gonna Give into these things, which is really hard to do in a place like California. And Luke and I grew up in Northern California. You're like
2: right between, you're right between where the, uh, our our ancestral homelands, if you will, Nate. Like, uh, yeah. Nate's from SAC and I grew up in Chico. Oh, wow. So I spent many times, we used to play, we used to play hoops and everything, football and everything else in Yuba, Yuba City. Uh, so very familiar with, with your neck of the woods. And wow.
1: It's always fun, always fun to have. I still remember the Christian school heckled me. Cause I looked like, <laughs> cause I was the redheaded kid on the free throw line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and someone yelled, "Oh, Doyle rules!" When I was shooting a free throw, <laughs>
2: that,
1: that is pretty
2: brilliant, actually.
1: <laughs> and the whole the Yuba City Christian, the whole stadium started laughing at me while I was shooting a free throw. So it was really nice. Did you oh, ice them though? Did you just ice them oh. and tell them to get, give them the quiet sign or what? Yeah, it was like you're up there, I'm down here. There's a reason <laughs> for it. There you go.
0: Come on. That is
1: amazing. <laughs> I got it all out, Yuba City. I've forgiven you. All right. We got Dave on the show today.
0: That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so Dave, you got
1: some blurry stories, but we can kick it off with Bigfoot. Dave, what do you think about Bigfoot? What do you think that thing is? Do you have any thoughts on the the big Fellow in the woods?
0: Oh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, you want to go straight to Bigfoot, huh? Okay. That's where we always start. Man. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's where the, sh- well, hey, that's how the show starts. You guys are from that's how we California. Do it. That's right. you, you know, my thoughts about it. Well, uh, let me start by saying, I think that the tradi- traditional view of uh, the spirit realm is way, way, way off. So there's, of course, there are demons. They're part of the group of evil spirits, but, but they're disembodied spirits of the ancient evil dead because they don't have bodies. They try to use human bodies to find expression in the time-space continuum. And uh, unless they can uh, borrow a human body and work through it, they're just unseen specters. You know, they're ghosts. And and most people think that's the extent of evil spirits. That everything's either an angel. Uh, most people think, you know, they they wear white, they have blonde hair, they always carry swords. Uh, they're about six two and good looking. But anyway, the the truth of it is that the spirit world is more populated. Than the natural world by far, and we have between uh, ten and fifty million different species in in this this time space continuum. So if we start there, then then we back up from there and say, of all these spiritual beings, most of them, if not all of them, are either uh, clearly. In the service of God, or they're clearly opposed to God. That can be argued. Some people think there are just like the human population. Some people think there are beings that haven't made a firm commitment for or against God. And I don't know that it really even matters if we go there or not. But but if we say uh, of all these spiritual beings, i.e., non-human entities that exist in the celestial or the spiritual plane. Uh, If we divide them into evil spirits and good spirits, then we can begin to say, okay, what kind of a thing might the Bigfoot be? Now, I think what it isn't is a big hairy ape that is just exceptionally good at hiding. I don't think that makes any sense.
2: It's very sneaky, very sneaky (laughs)
0: guy. Very sneaky, right. Yeah, the winner of the the universal hide-and-seek competition.
2: That sounds like a t-shirt, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I kid, I I kid. There's a few of those out there. (laughs)
0: But, But anyway, so I think that they're evil spirits. Let me just say this. This is secondhand information, but good information nonetheless. I have a good friend who is an ancient language expert and uh, works for the Pentagon, and uh, sometimes overlaps with the Department of Defense. I've spent quite a lot of time talking to him about all things weird and wonderful. He says that there are Bigfoot entities in captivity in Dulce, New Mexico, and that he's seen pictures of them and uh, talked to people there about some of the details of their extreme physical acumen he, he says they can run like uh, 130 miles an hour and they have superhuman strength so anyway of course as you guys know just recently after over 75 years of secrecy in the Senate hearing committee that they they are finally admitting that that interdimensional entities have been around for you know over 75 years that that they've been hobnobbing with the U.S. military, and and it's been a, a litany of uh, cover-ups and lies and the sleight of hand and blah blah blah. So that's gone from the tabloids to the Senate hearings, uh, where people are testifying under oath about interdimensional entities and uh, you know unidentified aerial phenomenon. So everything's changing these days. Well, the Bigfoot appearances, j- just like abductions and on and on it goes, the alien greys, the little doctors, all-, all these things that have been appearing, the black-eyed kids, all, all this stuff that's been happening for years. And and really, th- there have been tens of thousands bear witness to them. But suddenly, there's some credibility because the Operation Blue Book and the, the whole military cover-up has come to an end. So anyway, now people are saying, okay, so let's go back and revisit these sightings and these experiences that people had. So I've never had one myself. I have talked to people who have seen the Alien Greys and and Bigfoot and got a friend who is a writer for Paranormal Magazine, And I met him because he interviewed me over the Anton LaVey situation and his death in 1997. But we've stayed in contact since then. And this might make a story for another time. But uh, he just recently said that there is a Indian medicine man lives up by Mount Shasta that uh, invited him up to connect with the Bigfoot. He says he talks to them uh, every month at the full moon, and they talk telepathically. So anyway, my friend, Brett, uh, he went up there to get in on this, and uh, it was a full moon. As
2: one would, right? Yeah, You're yeah, not going to miss yeah. out. Yeah.
0: So he's sitting out there under a full moon and kind of dozing off, and he, he hears a strange sound and wakes up, and this shaman says uh, they're they're on the outskirts of the the woods here, they were in a clearing and he said, I need to know if you're going to freak out if they come over here. He said, well, I don't know. And he says, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go any further here. If you're going to freak out, he said, all bets are off. If you freak out on them. And Brett says, what does that mean? He said, well, that means, I don't know what they would do, but I, I don't want to be a part of, whatever find might out. go wrong <laughs> yeah. if you freak out <laughs> on them so my friend brett who's a great guy he's about six four he's a big guy but he said he just got to thinking i don't know what if they just freak out on me for no reason so he said i i don't know if i should be here or not and uh, he could hear the noises on the outside of the clearing and so the guy said Uh, If you're not sure, you you need to go straight to your truck, get in your truck and drive out of here and keep driving till you're way out of range. And so that's what happened. He never did see him. Uh, I asked him, of course, when I heard about. I said, Brett, let's take the guy up on it. I'd love to see him and and have that experience. And I have my own questions about them. He said, well, I think I uh, PO'd the guy because he, you know, he went and jumped through all the hoops for me to have this experience. Then I chickened out. So uh, this news is just oh, maybe six weeks old. But I said, Brett, recontact the guy. Tell him that you haired up a little bit. You're not gonna you're not gonna freak out. And you'd like to bring a friend and see if he'll let us make that connection. So we'll see. But
2: so wait, you're, this is coming up, Dave.
0: Yeah, well, we, we don't have a date set, but uh, what we oh, left at right. is, is Brett's going back to the Indian shaman and asking if he'll give him a break for chickening out the first time and see if we can go up there on a full moon and and uh, have an experience. I don't know if they'd come out of the woods. If they're truly evil, they may not because of the presence of Christ, which it's a determinate factor in these encounters, so I don't know if that would mm-hmm. work or not. But anyway, if it does, I'll D- give you guys a holler,
2: dude. That's right. We want the first. We want the first. Wow. uh, We want the first story when when yeah, if you get up I'd, there. I'll do that for all you. All right. All right, yeah. Dave. We'll hold well, you that, to it. That is an answer. That that is my favorite. What are, what are your thoughts on Bigfoot? I think
1: we've ever had on the show. Honestly, that is. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, Dave. You just you just blew the wheels off so many things and. In, it's interesting because a lot of things you said, man, we could just keep talking about this the whole episode, but uh, you know, you, you hear truckers talk about, you say they can run at insane speeds. Yeah. You hear truckers say they're keeping pace with them outside the window along the freeway. Right. And then I remember the, one of the first times my buddy, who was just super skeptical, called me one day and he goes like, dude, so the ex-wife of my drummer, he was telling me that he saw, his wife saw Bigfoot run down this hill in Kentucky. And she, she said it was like an Olympic athlete on steroids hopping over logs and just sprinting down the hill and up the other side these things are something else but i love i love your thoughts and and i don't know if i'd have the uh the balls to go out in the full moon and and hang out with squatching friends love what's up mount shasta too we didn't even touch on that there's so much
2: weird stuff oh yeah what's up with that place well it's
0: it's obviously a major portal actually the Sutter Buttes that are right uh, oh yeah right yeah. outside our our windows actually at Glad Tidings, but they're a midpoint in a ley line between Mount Shasta and Mount Diablo in the bay. And so there's a, a ton of spiritual activity on all of those mountains. But Shasta is of course the by far the highest of those three points. And so uh, yeah, that's a major portal, lots and lots of activity up there. And uh, so it didn't surprise me, you know, to hear that it was up on on uh, the slopes of Shasta that this was going to take place.
2: Well, that's famously where the politest story is, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: If you're familiar with it, where the guy walks in, Nate, I don't know if it's the first or the second politus yeah. film, film yeah. where the guy w- essentially walks into nowhere. The footsteps stop and the guy's gone. Yeah. No backpack, no, yeah. no, nothing. Yeah, that was on on Shasta, among other weird things, and right, L- Lemuria and all the stuff that people talk about. You know, J.C.
1: Brown. There's so much weird, weird stuff
0: yeah.
2: surrounding Mount Shasta.
0: Certainly. Well, there's all
1: those, there's all these like rings around. There's this, these rock rings that are all around that area. I sent some photos to Derek Olson, and uh, there's some megalithic stuff there. Or yeah like wheels maybe like medicine wheels yeah the yeah. the wheels, which we which we talked about those are all over Bashan, so whatever whatever's there, right, yeah, super
2: blurry dave, you you mentioned there in in the story your you know one of the stories I know that you you've told a few times that you know the, the your encounter with an with anton levey, of course, I mean we were from northern California, so I remember growing up and hearing about the satanic stuff that happened in northern California, whether on auburn and. And you know, on the way up to Tahoe, in those places where there, I remember being a kid and, and hearing about covens of witches and Anton LaVey, and there's this—I don't know how much this urban lore is, but there was a house, in, I believe, in Auburn or, gosh, what was the other Grass Valley, Grass Valley area? Yeah, yeah, where there, where that was like where he lived, and kids would go there, and a bunch of weird activity would happen. But you have you have a story about Anton LaVey and a wild encounter. And love for you to share that story with us and and kind of unpack the things that happen, that, that happened there because it's, I think it's fascinating what I what I have heard and like I told you at the top like I, did, I haven't listened to listened to it because I wanted it to be fresh and, and first time for for us but I know that it's a it's a compelling story about that involve a lot of blurry things happening
0: <laughs> a lot of blurry things <laughs> yes yeah so anyway uh, I grew up on a ranch in Idaho my dad was a uh, he was a boxer and a gunsmith and a pastor. Uh, awesome. hot machine superhero. gun preacher.
2: Look <laughs> at that guy. Yeah, yeah. He,
0: he was a unique guy, but a good blend, you know, because uh, he didn't have a religious bone in his body. But he believed in the the reality, the pervasive reality of the spirit realm and, and didn't have a lot of experiences. But I thank God that he he believed in those things and had an open mind uh, but in any event, it's a long story that I don't want to get into, but uh, I really never uh, fancied myself being a pastor, uh, but we wound mm. up being in Yuba City in 1987. Church Glad Tidings was r- really struggling, and they needed some leadership. I thought, ah, I, I can do that for a while till we figure out, you know, where <laughs> to from here. Mm. Anyway, that's uh, 37 years ago now, so... Right. So we got involved, and
2: so you just you just holding down the fort for a little while, Dave. Yeah, just, just for a little, little while. while. A little yeah, while. just
0: yeah, till Jesus yeah. gets back.
2: That's right. But ninety nine reasons that he gets comes back in ninety nine, right? Yeah, there you uh, go.
0: But anyway, <laughs> um, so we uh, we adopted this motto: find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. And so I didn't want to be a religious person uh, and never have wanted to still don't want to. But I knew that there was a God and there was a kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness and wanted to be on the right side of that. So we just started helping people and the church started to grow and we got involved in more and more community urgent needs. So one of those was the juvenile hall. And so we were involved in that. And there were several things that happened where kids told us that they were involved in in generational Satanism and, and, you know, some really heavy and weird things. Well, I had also snooped into the Juan Corona murders. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but mm, the no. Juan Corona murders are the largest satanic mass murders recorded in American history. And they happened... Uh, not only in Yuba City, they, they actually happened. The bodies were buried, a bunch of them right on the property that we now own, Church of Glad Tidings. So anyway, uh, because of all that, I started you know, reading books about it and, and uh, snooping into it and found out a little bit about Satanism and satanic rituals. And I was just kind of r- reading it to find out really our history and what was going on and uh, what we might be facing going forward. But in any event, we started encountering these kids in Juvenile Hall that were doing satanic rituals and whatnot. I was getting closer and closer to the reality of what lay beneath the surface of the community. Well, one day I was in Juvenile Hall and uh, we went on Mondays and Saturdays at the time. I, I went in on Monday to talk to the kids and they had a young lady, she was only 14, but they had her in a plexiglass cage, uh, sitting out in the lobby. And so when I checked in, I said, What's with the girl in the cage? They all laughed. They said, Well, would you like to interview her? And I said, Sure, why not? They got a big kick out of that. But anyway, they got the, the CEO, got the, his overseer, and said, The pastor wants to interview the. Bernice, the girl in the cage. So anyway, they unlocked this plexiglass cage. This gal was sitting in there uh, just staring at a small table or two chairs. She was sitting in one and they, they just had her under observation in this big cage. It was probably, I would say it was about eight foot wide, about 12 feet long and, and top, bottom, everything. It was fully uh, lockable and she was sitting in there. So, so I pulled up a chair and, and was trying to be friendly. I said, hello, sweetheart. Uh, she's a little 14 year old girl. She says, I'm not your sweetheart. <laughs> I said, Oh, okay. Point well taken. I said, it was just a term of endearment. I, I was just trying to say hi. And she said, What do you want? I said, Well, why do they have you in this cage? She said, they're afraid of me. And I said, why would they be afraid of me? She said, Won't you ask them? I said, Well, I I, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh is there anything I can do for you? I said, I'm a pastor, and we come in here a couple of times a week. And if, if I can help you in any way, I'd be glad to. So behind me, there and facing her, there's a camera. And so she, she got down real low. So the camera couldn't see what she was saying because it was at my back. So she she got down with me between her and the camera, and she says real quietly, she says, I need blood. Wow. And remember, I grew up on a ranch in Idaho, so I didn't have any idea what she was talking about. So I said, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm I'm a, a pastor, she said, and I'm not anemic. And I said, oh, okay, well, Why do you need blood? She said, I'm addicted to it. And I I said, I I don't understand. We're all kind of addicted to blood. Without it, we die. She said, no, I'm (laughs) I'm addicted to it. And I said, you mean you drink it? She said, yeah, I'm a vampire. Wow. And I said, what? She said, I'm a vampire. And that's why they have me in this cage. So I won't harvest blood from any of the other kids in here. I said... Where, where do you, how do you usually get blood? She taps her juggler vein. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know if she's high on crack or right. or I don't know what's going on here. But I said, you, you drink blood out of people's juggler vein? She said, yeah, or their wrists. And she said, you said if I needed something, you'd help me. I said, well, I'm not helping you with that. I, I banged on the glass and, and they let me out. And they were laughing. They thought it was pretty funny. But I had to go home for the day and sort my brain out. And I asked them, I said, this this girl was actually drinking blood out of, out of these other kids. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I went home and I thought that was my first experience of something that's way out there, you know. Right. And my wife, her grandfather was a healing evangelist named A.A. A. Allen and he traveled the world and he had lots of miracles of healing and whatnot. And so she grew up as a little girl in his big Mm -hmm. tent meetings, watching him cast demons out of people and whatnot. I didn't have that experience. So, so anyway, I was just trying to wrap my brain around whether this was a true story or not. I went home and told Cheryl about it. She said, well, of course it's true. Why, why would a, a 14-year-old girl tell you that she was addicted to blood and i said well maybe she's just trying to be sensational and and she said well, didn't she tell you that the reason she was in juvenile hall is she tried to murder her mother mm-hmm. which she had when i asked why she was in juvenile hall she told me this story and then later i asked why she was in the cage she said it's because she was trying to get blood from the other teenagers but anyway When she told me why she's in juvenile, she said, I I tried to murder my mother and it was unsuccessful. We uh, beat her head in with a bat and threw her in the river and thought she was dead. And somehow she lived. So I got in trouble with the coven over it. And I said, the coven? She said, yeah, I'm I'm a Satanist. And I was in a very powerful coven. You know, so I, I tried to kill my mom. I said, why did you hate her? She said, oh, I, I didn't hate her, but did a Judas ritual against her because uh, mm. she was trying to get out of the coven. And of course, at the time, I didn't know what any of these things meant. So I said, what's mm. a Judas ritual? I said, well, that's where you betray somebody close to you. And so we we took her out to the foothills to a campfire, but we planned to kill her out there. and And we thought we had killed her, threw her body in the river, and somehow she survived. So now they found out what happened, and now yeah, I'm facing a lot of years for attempted murder. So, anyway, so when I was talking to Cheryl about it, she was very compassionate. That's my wife. I was thinking, geez, Louise, I, I almost uh, got attacked by a vampire, and your compassion is all going out to the vampire. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she said, Oh, that poor girl, can you imagine what kind of life she's had to be 14 years old, having already tried to kill her mother and being addicted to human blood. So anyway, I tell you all that because later we met her mother. And the way that happened is we were uh, just having a regular weekend service. There was a prophet from Borneo that had prophesied over Cheryl and I, we were about to be face-to-face with the devil and we weren't ready for it. And wow. I told her, his name was Jack Sisler. I said, Jack, I, I don't want to be face-to-face with the devil. I'm just trying to help people be a nice guy, help runaway teenagers. I want to pass on that face-to-face with the devil. And he said, well, you need to read the book of Jonah. When it comes to the will of God, you you can do it of your own free will, or you can do it the hard way, and you'll be uh, lost in a storm, swallowed by a a great fish and puked up on the beach. But one way or the other, you're going to make it to Nineveh and do what God asks you to do. So anyway, when I asked him about that, he said, well, God showed me you were supposed to be on the front lines of spiritual warfare and teach a lot of people how to do deliverance of spiritual warfare. So anyway, that's the backdrop to our story. Now I'm reluctant, not really wanting to do that, but I met this girl in Juvenile Hall and a few weeks later, we were having a a meeting at Glad Tidings and invited people to dedicate their lives to Christ. I think six people did that morning. One of them was a really rough looking gal that had metal braces on her face and, and you know, screws into her jaw. And, and so I thought she'd been in a bad wreck. But anyway, uh, come to find out the next day, she called and, and asked if we would come get her. She said, witches are trying to kill me. If they find me, they'll kill me. And I didn't know what to think of that story, but we picked her up. God spoke to my wife that we should let her stay in our house. And so we brought her into our house along with our, our boys uh, that were, there was a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 15-year-old at the time. But anyway, we brought her into the house, still didn't know who she was. Long and short of it, through lots and lots of wild experiences that we went through, figured out that that her real name, she was going by Ramona Jarnigan. Her her birth name was Ray Ray LeVay, and her father was Anton LeVay, and she had oh, wow. been uh, conceived in a satanic ritual with an Illini Indian witch back in Illinois. They're the power brokers of North American um, uh, spiritism <laughs> because their their patron deity is the thunderbird or the the piazza bird as they call it. <clears throat> and that's the top of the totem pole, which the totem pole is yeah. the power structure of the spirits mm. that that the North American Indian tribes worship. But anyway, the strongest one is always on the top, and that's the The Thunderbird or Firebird or or the Piazza bird. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Anton LaVey had done a power convergence to merge the powers of the Church of Satan with the powers of the Alini Indians. And so the whole idea was a sex ritual. Of course, Anton LaVey was big into sex rituals, which he learned from Aleister Crowley. But anyway, they did a sex ritual. Ray Ray was conceived in that sex ritual. And she was slated to be a bride of Satan. You probably know about that. There were there was a, a worldwide offer for uh, people to um, bring women that had been completely defiled to the point that they might qualify to be the bride of Satan. And so, of course, it's the exact opposite, opposite of the Virgin Mary, right? It was uh, somebody that had been defiled so completely that they may qualify to bear Satan's seed. And that's the whole moon child, uh bride of Satan that, that would get way down that rabbit hole. But anyway. Was
2: it is it Dave, is that the same thing that Jack Parsons and, and the like were trying to do out in the desert it was the same sort of Parsons? Yeah.
0: Well Jack, what they were trying to do out in the desert was the Amalotron working. They were actually
2: the Babylon workings, yeah. Yeah, they
0: yeah. were actually trying to uh conjure an elemental and an elemental is something that, that comes into our realm and assumes a permanent form. And so they were actually, that elemental was meant by them to be the Scarlet Whore or the Whore of Revelation uh. that rides the beast, right? So you guys probably know this, but Jack Parsons' birth name was Marvel Parsons. And all the Marvel comics are based on his experiences. And so Hollywood has made over a hundred Marvel comics. They all have a lucifering theme if if you if you know what to look for but the uh the last one that hit the big screen was Doctor Strange and the omniverse. I don't know if you guys saw that no but
2: uh no no I've heard it. I didn't see it.
0: yeah, if you see it, it'll explain a lot to you about the Amatra working. In which he felt like that that he was betrayed by the Scarlet Witch, and anyway, L. Ron Hubbard was the other guy. Was, that yeah, was it was working. Hubbard.
2: That's right. L. Ron yeah. Hubbard,
0: who started of course Scientology. Of Science. Yeah. yeah, but they were both Holyite Luciferians, and so they worked together on this working, and a working is like a whole bunch of rituals that are stacked up. It's sort of like buying something on an installment plan. So, you know, rituals there's a certain amount of blood shed, a certain amount and a certain kind that buys you credit in the in the demonic realm. And so, based on the kind and amount of blood you shed, you can buy favors from the demonic realm. Well, that's uh, that's what all rituals are based on. But a working It's like you you are saving up the worth of all that innocent blood for something truly fantastic. And so a working might be a culmination of, you know, 250, 300 different rituals that you were paying it forward until there was a massive amount of innocent blood. And then you ask for something, you know, truly spectacular, like, Alistair Crowley's first working was called the Babylon working, and he was asking the, the, the powers of darkness to open the abyss and to, to free the demons that are talked about in Revelation. The abyss is opened, and demons pour forth onto the face of the earth. And that was what the Babylon working was about, and then there was the mysterious disappearance of of Aleister Crowley. But in any event, yeah, I
2: got sidetracked there a little bit, but I, it, those are those are not related. But is the is the prince is the same thing that um, LeVay was attempting to do with with the tribe? It, it was a working as well, but it was a it was, it was a sex ritual. We've talked a bit. We we talked about Derek Gilbert at the top of of the show. And we talked about the threshing floor and the ideas that these were places for sex magic yeah. type of r- rituals in the ancient times, yeah. right? Even the top of ziggurats, right? That's what we're trying to do with Babel, right. was mm-hmm. to bring forth something right. by by a, by a right ritual. Yeah. So this is what this is what uh, LeVay was t- attempting to do, and and the byproduct is then Ray Ray, who's in your house, right?
0: So so <laughs> Ray Ray oh had been conceived in that ritual. She was conceived for the purpose of. Really being in the competition of the bride of Satan ceremony, there was only going to ever be one bride of Satan that conceived the Antichrist, the man of sin. But there was this, it was sort of like, you know, uh, Queen Esther was chosen in a beauty pageant. Everybody came, but there's only going to be one winner. So anyway, of course that would have been a a great honor for Anton to have his own daughter be the bride of Satan. So that's what he was hoping for. But anyway, getting back to that, we took her into her house not knowing who she was. Remember, her daughter had said that they beat her head in with a bat and threw her in a river. She told us that her name was Ramona Jarnigan and that she had been in a really bad car accident and broke her face all up and but any any event, we had her in our house, and, of course, all hell broke loose. Every every night at the witching hour from 2 to 3, uh, we, we just had something sensational happen. And so there, there were a number of weeks there where uh, I was telling Cheryl, she's not being honest with us. She, you know, she's she's telling us she dabbled in witchcraft. That's baloney, man, that's stuff that's going around through this house at night. It's not something that happens when you dabble. So anyway, it culminated to us, uh, we were on our way to a a camp in Oregon. I was the speaker at a camp and we didn't know what to do with her. So we called ahead and asked for an extra cabin on the outside of the camp and we were going to just try to uh, do the camp and then work with her at night, you know, because it was it was constant deliverance and exorcism with her but anyway on that trip we went through an Indian reservation and it was Winnemucca so large Indian reservation in Nevada and when we came onto the reservation and I was driving over 100 miles an hour because we'd had to stop because she would go demonic and we'd have to stop and rebuke demons and And I was falling behind and I was gonna be late to be the keynote speaker at this event. So I was doing over a hundred miles an hour. And when we came onto that Indian reservation, all the doors of the van, we were in a a Chevy van, all the doors came open, all the seat belts unlatched. And and this spirit tried to throw her out onto the highway uh, at a hundred miles an hour. Fortunately, she was a little gal. I grabbed her by the hand she was on the passenger front I grabbed her by the hand and pulled her back in and uh anyway uh thankfully she got the van stopped without anybody dying and but it it was quite a wild ordeal and uh, and that's when I said um uh, this there was a spirit that had taken her over and I said who are you I don't know if you guys have been around this but you've probably watched uh exorcism movies but spirits can uh, speak through people and use their hands and eyes and mouth and everything so um so it was very obvious another spirit had taken her over I said who are you and it said I'm the power spirit of the Winnemucca Indian nation and I said "Uh, what are you doing in Ramona and this spirit laughed at me and says Ramona huh you don't even know who she is I said, well, nonetheless, uh, what are you doing in her? And the spirit said, she's defiled by the blood of a virgin sacrifice. And that gives me the right to kill her if she's on my territory. Well, all this is new to me, right? I'm, I'm just this uh, a cowboy from Emmett, Idaho. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I didn't know about that. But how do you know she's defiled by the blood of virgin sacrifice? He said, oh, you humans are so stupid. Uh the spirit said, I have seen you coming for hundreds of miles, and I knew that you'd be coming through here, and I've just been waiting for you to c- cross over onto my territory. And I said, well, uh, so you have a right to kill her. You tried to do that, and you obviously failed. He said, well, I'm not done yet. And I said, well, but you got to admit you failed. You, you tried to throw her out the window. It didn't work. And I said, she's under our care now. And the power of Christ is greater than your power. And he said, oh, we'll see about that. And I said, you really want to do that? You're the, the power spirit of this nation, which means all the other spirits are watching what's happening right now. And if, if we best you in an exorcism, that's going to be the most humiliating moment of your life. And the spirit didn't answer. And I said, Listen, you you know the power of Christ is greater than your power. So if you don't want to be humiliated here in a home game, why don't you just leave her alone and we'll take her off your reservation and never come back. And the spirit says, if you come back, I have a right to kill her, right? I said, okay, if I come back, you have a right to kill her, but we won't be coming back. He says, okay, but a deal's a deal. If she comes back, I'm going to kill her. So anyway... The spirit left quietly. She came to her senses, didn't know what had happened. And I was angry because we had almost all died. And so she noticed I was angry and asked why. I said, well, I'm going to take you off this reservation and we're going to talk about it. Well, when we got off the reservation, I got her get out of the van. And I said, I have asked you many times if you were lying to us, you've always said no. Your story doesn't match up. Uh, You've done a lot more than dabble in witchcraft and and use a Ouija board. And you've been lying to me about it. A spirit just took you over, almost killed the whole family, and said you were defiled by the blood of a virgin sacrifice. And I want to know who the virgin sacrifice was, how you got involved, and who you really are. So she said, well, if I tell you, do you promise you won't kick me out of your family? I said, I'll tell you what. Ramona that's what we were calling her at the time I said I'll tell you what Ramona as long as you are honest with us we will go to hell and back for you and help you get free but the minute I find out that you're lying all bets are off we're gonna uh put you out of our house and out of the church because truth sets people free and and you've been lying about everything that has to do with you so, who was the virgin sacrifice? She started crying. She said it was my little sister, uh, Delina Starr. And I said, you've killed your little sister. She's crying. And she, she said, I didn't want to. He put his hands over mine and made me do it. I said, who's he? She said, my dad. I said, who's your dad? She said, you promise you won't reject me? I said, yep, I promise. I need to know who your dad is. She said, Anton LaVey. And, of course, I knew from studying the satanic ritual uh, murders of the one Corona. I knew about Anton LaVey, knew he was in Northern California up in Grass Valley. So I just thought, oh, wow. Uh, so uh, so I said, okay, uh, Anton LaVey is your dad. What's your real name? She said, Ray, Ray LaVey, but I don't want to go by that because uh, it's an evil name. Yeah. I said, Okay. Uh, what name do you want to go by? She said, I want to change my name to Deborah Joy Bryan. Uh, Bryan is obviously our last name. So anyway, I said, well, if you will be honest with us, we'll adopt you. You can change your name and we'll face this together. But I don't want to ever again find out that you are lying to us. And so she said, OK, well, if I'm going to be honest, I never got in a car wreck. And I said, OK, how'd your face get all broken up? She said, well, my daughter tried to beat me to death with a bat and threw me in a river, and angels of God came mm. and rescued me. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking this is totally bizarre. And I said, uh, is your daughter half black? She said, yeah, how do you know? I said, I was in a, a cage with her. I said, is she a vampire? She said, yeah, she is. I said, yep, that'd be her. I was in a cage with her. And she told me what happened uh, to you and that she was trying to get your your demons because you were trying to get out of the coven and she wanted the power that came from your demons. She said, yeah, they did a Judas ritual and tried to kill me, but God saved me. And um, so she mm. said, now that you know that Anton is my birth father, The church of Satan is going to try to destroy you and your family and your church. I said, well, the power spirit of the Winnemucca Indian just tried to destroy us and didn't work. So we're just (laughs) going to push our chip to the middle of the table and bet on God. Yeah. So anyway, that's how we found out who she was. And that was in June of 1997, the rest of June, July, August, September. October it was wild every night, and of course that's when we learned uh, so much about spiritual warfare and deliverance as the prophet Borneo told us we were going to. But anyway, that led up to Halloween, and during that time, Anton Lavey would astral project into her, which is identical to the demonization. Only instead of talking to an ancient evil spirit of the, the dead, you're talking t- to a spirit of a warlock that's astral projected out of his own body or her own body. Then she's on the spirit plane. And so they can do the same thing that a demon spirit can do. If they have a right to enter a body, wow. they can come in and talk through them and punch you in the face, kick you in the crotch. They, they can do all the kind of things that... Oh that comes with the power to animate a a physical body. So Anton would uh, astral project into Ray Ray and uh, cuss us out and threaten us. And, you know, it was pretty gnarly there uh, for those months. But we learned a lot. God always protected us. We knew that Anton Mm. hated us and was trying his best to kill us. So that gave us great confidence because he wasn't able to and so all those months he kept saying when halloween gets here ray ray which anton refused to call her anything but ray ray but anyway he said when the rituals get here the halloween or sewing they call it when the sewing Hmm. rituals get here ray ray will either be the bride of satan because she had already been through the six other rituals of defilement that they have to happen on consecutive halloweens for seven years in a row to defile you and qualify you to possibly be the bride of satan but anyway she had been six through six out of the seven rituals and was slated to go through the seventh ritual on halloween of 1997 and of course now she was in her home and we were taking her through deliverance, she'd given her life to Christ. So Anton used to say when the, the Soein rituals get here, she will either be the bride of Satan or she will be a blood sacrifice to Satan. And if if she won't cooperate and we have to sacrifice her, her blood's on your hands because it's your fault that this happened to her. So anyway. That led up to Halloween of 1997. The details of that story are, are really, they're bizarre on the one hand, they're absolutely wonderful on the other, because that's when Anton uh, kidnapped Deborah Joy. It's a long story. It has to do with Trinidadian zombieism, and, and I r- wrote about it in a book called The Serpent and the Savior. But in any event, that was the showdown night. We knew it would be. We had a group of 10 intercessors that came over to our house to pray that night. We were going to pray from 10 p.m. up into the witching hour. The witching hour is at 2, from 2 to 3. And we figured we'd be there all night praying. But anyway, before the team got over there, Anton LaVey projected into DJ. From our house, from our guest bedroom, he called the police on me. And remember, when a spirit has hijacked a body... If you know what's going on, you can look their eyes and tell something right. But a lot of people, they, they just don't know what's going on. It, it looks like the person has always looked, right? But there's a different spirit that is animating them and mm. talking through them and acting through them. So anyway, uh, from our guest bedroom, uh, she picked up the phone and called the police and said she's being held mm. hostage in our home and had been for the better part of the year. And that I was uh, raping her and torturing her and keeping her uh, confined in our upstairs. And so she was calling in a 911 kidnapping call. So I was out on the front porch praying because I knew, you know, it was Halloween Eve and and something would be going down. And cops came up with lights and sirens. Three different vehicles came up, and then the fourth one followed later. And when they came up, I stood up to find out what was going on. She ran out of the the front door behind me, uh, cussing at me and telling them he's a rapist, he's evil, he's been torturing me, all kinds of stuff. So you can imagine what that was like. And I tried to, you know, run over and I knew if I could get a hold of her, I could rebuke the spirit in her and she'd come back to her senses. But they drew down on me and. And uh, I was face down on the grass, and and it was Deborah Joy's body, but it was being animated by Anton's spirit, and so she's marching around, flipping me off, and you know, "F you, uh, preacher boy," which is what Anton always called me, mm. and it was really, uh, really a shock that all that was going down, and so they were going to arrest me we have a ministry in our church called the trauma intervention program. And one of my best friends heads that up and he has a a badge and a Mm. hall pass to go past police barriers, right? Because he does trauma intervention on all the 911 calls. So I called him, he was only a block away. He came around the block real quick and, and got involved. And I told him what was happening. I said, try to get into the back of the, police car to talk to the to the victim and try to put this phone in her sweater pocket so we can track her. So he did that and managed to be successful. He got out and he told the police, he said, you know, this woman has a long mental health history. They said, well, that doesn't matter. You still can't, you know, rape her and torture. Her. And Lou said, well, yeah, but the point is you're about to arrest a man that has a really good reputation around here in a large church. And you're about to re- arrest him on the witness of a frequent flyer at mental health. And if you're wrong about it, y'all are going to lose your jobs. So they recanted. They told me, we're not going to arrest you right now, but we're going to put you under house arrest. Don't have any contact with her. If we find out you're trying to recontact with her. We will arrest you. Dang. So that was Halloween Eve of 1997. Uh, they drove off with her in the back of a police car, flipping me off out the back window with both hands. And oh. hmm. and I thought, wow, Anton's been telling me for months that come celebration that, that we'll find out why he serves Lucifer instead of uh, Christ, who he always called the pathetic weakling. So we started praying and, Didn't know what to do. And so I went in and I told you, my dad's a gunsmith and we grew up uh, riding and shooting. And I went in and strapped up with a couple of 45s and extra mags. And I was going to go up to the uh, satanic ranch and just throw down and uh, go Old Testament on them up there and see if I could (laughs) rescue her. And so I headed up the road alone. I told Cheryl and Lou who is the elder that does trauma intervention, I said, you guys go over to Hell Motel. Uh, that was just a nickname we had for an old motel where a lot of uh, witches and druids and warlocks and Satanists lived. I said, go over to Hell Motel and see if that's a rendezvous point. You know, astral projection, you, you, if Anton's out and about on the astral plane, his body has to be somewhere safe, right? And so I said, he might be astral projecting from, Hell Motel, and if so, that'll be the rendezvous point for him to leave. Who we now had called DJ, that stands for Deborah Joy. But I said Mm -hmm. he'll need to leave DJ and go back into his body, and then uh, and then they'll head up the mountain. So they might be headed over there. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I went John Wayne. I was going up to to Satanic Ranch, and I got a call from him that DJ had got out of a police car and was headed into Hell Motel so i changed course went over there on the way over she discovered or you know anton was animating her still but anton discovered the phone in her pocket actually as soon as they let her out of the police car and and lou and cheryl said they saw her I, i called that phone number he answered it he said very clever preacher boy he said it's too late but it was a good idea and she And he said, we'll drink Ray Ray's blood tonight in honor of Lucifer, the dark Lord. And it'll be your fault because you served the pathetic weakling. And I told you all along, Lucifer was more powerful. And I would demonstrate that to you tonight. Said a lot of other things that were too vile to repeat, but, you know, about raping us all and killing us all eventually. But anyway, he hung up the phone and i got one of those god thoughts just a very strong clear thought that comes into the mind and it was to pray for Anton's silver cord to be cut and so i called cheryl and i called the head of our prayer team that was back at our house jill underhill and i said let's all pray for god to cut the silver cord on anton and i remember jill said uh, won't that kill him I said yeah it, it will kill him but it's either him or Ray Ray and we're not gonna let him kill DJ tonight so so I'll pray that so I was standing in the road uh, with the car door open and praying for God to cut Anton's silver cord it was about 10 o'clock maybe 10 after 10 on Halloween Eve suddenly DJ came running out the door said help me dad help me We got her in the car and started driving home and she said, Anton bounced, which is a term that means someone who has ventured out onto the astral plane is trying to get back into their body, but they've been out too long or for some reason they can't re-enter their body. Let's all pray for God to cut the silver cord on Anton. Let's all pray for God to cut the silver cord on Anton. so they call it bouncing, and because you, you at that point you become a disembodied spirit i e you are dead so anyway D- Dave, uh,
2: dave real quick can you can you explain a silver cord to to people listening and to us who just that don't understand that completely
0: yeah, sure we're comprised of spirit, soul, and body, our spirit and soul are united together and almost a seamless unity. It's our mind, will, emotions, and affections along with that divine life that comes from God that that is the spirit. So anyway, that uh, entity, which is the spirit soul, is given the right to animate a physical body in the time-space continuum for a certain amount of time. Uh, It's called human life, but that means that a spirit soul is able to occupy and operate through a physical body. Uh, If that spirit soul leaves that physical body, which, by the way, we all do when we go into deep REM sleep, we we disengage a tiny bit. And if you can see in the spirit world, if you see somebody asleep, you can tell, A, if they're asleep, B, how deeply they're sleeping by how disintegrated their spirit spirit soul is with their physical body because it just rises and kind of floats above it. But my point is that spirit soul can come Mm. all the way out of that body. And that's, you know, people who are lucid dreamers, uh, they have those experiences all the time. That's what happens also in astral projection. You come out of your physical body. If there's ever a separation between the spirit soul and the physical body, There will be a translucent, a silvery cord that goes from the heart region of the spirit man into the heart region of the physical body. That's called the silver cord. Now, that is the right that that spirit soul has to occupy that body. If that is cut, that spirit soul no longer has access to that body, at which point the body. Immediately dies, and eventually turns to, returns to dust, and the spirit is now a wandering spirit. And of course, uh, if they're godly, they can be taken into the heavens. If they're ungodly, taken into the nether regions. And and there's also a phenomena of wandering spirits, but we don't have time to get into that. But in any event, it's the silver cord that attaches the spiritual to the body. And it, when that silver cord is cut, that is what we call physical death. And so that's what we prayed for, is for that silver cord to be cut so Anton would die. And in doing that, Deborah Joy would be uh, saved. And so what happened is uh, when she came come and jumped into the car, she said, Anton bounced. I said, we were praying for that. She said, well, it obviously worked. She said, uh, I came to my senses, of course, as soon as the spirit man left her then she was in control of her senses again she said i came to my senses i saw that his spirit was trying to get into his body and couldn't gain access to the body and the whole coven gathered around and and started conjuring and you know doing this uh, satanic lord's prayer and all, all that kind of stuff they were doing everything they knew to do to try to generate evil power to help him get back into his body. But because they were so preoccupied with the black Pope, she jumped up and ran out the door and there I was waiting for. So anyway, so we got back to the house and I told everybody, thank you for praying. Deborah says we were successful. God cut Anton's silver cord and rescued her. And so we were all, thanking the Lord and something happened to her that was so intense. It's the most intense thing I've seen in deliverance, but her eyes went reptilian and bright red, like a dragon's eyes. And this voice spoke out of her to me. She looked at me. She said, you're a murderer. You killed the black Pope. And I said, who are you? And And the spirit said, I'm Leviathan. Anton's power spirit. And of course, he, you know, he had a power spirit that took the shape of a snake, like on the Harry Potter movies. But anyway, that snake that was around his neck actually that was just a carnate expression of Leviathan, his power spirit. But anyway, that spirit was talking through Deborah and extremely angry at all of us, but me in particular, said, You killed the the black pope. And I said, Well. Um, what business do you have with Deborah Joy? And it said, Ray Ray is his direct descendant. And and so I can come into her if I want to. I said, no, you know that that's not the deal. She's renounced Satanism. Mm-hmm. She's renounced Anton. And I just commanded him in Jesus name to leave her, which he did. And when that happened, we all just kind of looked around. There were, I guess, 11 or, I guess there were 12 of us there. We looked around the room and said, "Wow, wow that was surreal. That uh, obviously Anton's dead. That we just heard it from Leviathan." And so we we were thanking God for His mercy. And suddenly, a, a woman spoke through DJ again to me and said, "You murderer! You killed my father." Well, by virtue of the fact that it was a woman and she was talking about Anton as her father, I knew it was. Either Carla or Zena, both who were there that night. And so I just asked it. I said, are you Carla or are you Zena? She said, I'm Zena. I hate you. You're a murderer. You killed my father. And I said, well, you know, only God has the power to do those things, but we did pray that he would do it. And he obviously saw fit to do it. And I said, so here's the deal, Zena. We asked God to cut your father's silver cord because he had left his body and was in DJ, just like you are right now. So if you don't immediately leave her, we're going to ask God to cut your silver cord. And she instantly said, don't do that. I'll go. And she was gone. And so we all looked at each other and blinked a few times and said, wow, that's amazing. Obviously, Anton's dead. And the coven knows that God cut a silver cord and they respect that. So, you know, we worshiped the Lord and, and talked and prayed and celebrated that night. Then, of course, uh, the next day we heard news that Anton had died, though they, of course, they, the church of Satan wouldn't allow for news of how he really died to get out. So they said that he had a heart attack and was down in the Bay Area and blah, 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 blah. Michael Aquino wrote the uh, official Church of Satan statement about what happened that night, but they put it the next night. And that's why, I don't know if they've changed it, but Wikipedia said there's some confusion about when he actually died. But we know when he actually died because we were there. And it was about 10 after 10 and in 1997 on October 30th, which remember the occult, Halloween ritual start for them at midnight on the 31st. But anyway, that's the story. And um, Ray Ray's, she goes by Deborah Joy. We call her DJ. She married a man that came through one of our rehabs and she's living in a state far, far away. And they've been married for uh, 13 years and serving God and doing fine. And it's mm, a really amazing. beautiful story of, of the power of Christ to deliver people. So there you have it. That's the story. Dave,
2: how, Dave, how do you go back to pastoring after that?
0: <laughs> well, uh, we never did really go back to what we were doing. I do seminars all over the world on spiritual warfare and deliverance. And I've written one book. I'm writing uh, three others right now. The book I wrote is called The Serpent and the Savior. It tells the story basically that I told you just now. And then I'm writing one called All Things Weird Mm -hmm. and Wonderful to tell about some of the stories I've been involved with since 1997. And then I'm doing a sequel to that that is a little hairier, a little wilder on occult level deliverance. Because you talk about blurry, things get downright blurry. <laughs> but anyway, one book a lot of people will be able to read if they make it through that. Okay, still have heart for it. I'm doing a book called "Slaying the Jabberwock," and that'll be stories of occult level deliverance. And then I'm uh, I'm working on a book called "The Warrior's Field Manual to Spiritual Warfare and Deliverance." So anyway, I still pastor of the church of glad tidings we're still involved in finding you know meeting urgent needs find a need and meet it find a hurt and heal it we still do a lot of compassion ministries but in addition to that we do a lot of deliverance we at our church every other tuesday night we have a strongholds class and we do uh, tearing down the strongholds of whatever whatever subject it happens to be and then we pray deliverance over people, much like the movie that's out now, Come Out in Jesus' Name. I don't know if you've seen that. But anyway, it's a story of, of uh, Greg Locke and how they got involved in deliverance. But we've been doing that for 30 years now. And so it's a regular event around glad tidings.
2: Dude, Dave, we're gonna to need to do like a part two of all things weird and wonderful, and get into some of those stories. I, seriously, i mean seriously, there's That was like ten podcast episodes worth of stuff that you dropped there. Yeah. I know from the uh, from the Thunderbird to the silver. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the th- one of the things I thought about, and I don't know if you've ever, if you've, if you've ever found the correlation, but when you were talking about uh, when you met with the daughter in the in the vampire. Cult. That was that's very eerily similar to what happened with Rod Farrell. You know, the story of the Vampire Cult was, that was in '97. Yeah, when they had, they had the little the Vampire Cult and they ended up murdering the girl's uh, mother and yeah, it was very eerily similar yep. to what was happening almost at the same time as as what DJ's dot da- that I guess daughter there was was attempted to do to her. Yeah, right. So I found that just eerily strange because that's a very well known. There's like a movie about about the Vampire Cult and Rod Farrell and him. And, and, and the murders that they went on, mm-hmm. and he, they, they lived or attempted to live as vampires. But the, the things they were doing is very, very similar to right. what the right. things you described with the Judas ritual and, and, and that. I have,
1: I have a question for you. Yeah. Why, why do you think some pastors sort of get baptized into the blurry verse and know a lot of what you're talking about, and other pastors seem to be, like everything we talked about, It's like a conspiracy theory to them and they're trying, they're trying to lead people and we're trying to, you know, combat and have spiritual warfare. But it seems as though, you know, like we found on our podcast, just we found we found sort of a lane because everything you're talking about, you know, at this point in our show, I think early on in the show might've been a little bizarre, but now where we are three years into this, it's, it's not. And why do you think that's the case so often in the church?
0: Well, first of all, let me say that uh, the further away you get from Western Christianity in the world, the less that is the case. So if you go into some of the African nations or deep into India somewhere uh, or the islands of the sea, there's a pervasive understanding of spiritual realism. The, the, so in a nutshell, the problem with the West is that we have done exactly what the Bible tells us not to do. The Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge the divine. Acknowledging the divine is all of the above. It's it's a pervasive realism in the spirit world because God created everything, the fallen ones and the angels of light and everything in between, it's all God. It's the creation of God. And it's the realm of God, the realm of the spirit world. Well, rationalism, which, of course, came through Rene Descartes and what we call the enlightenment, which, which spiritually speaking, was uh, an endarkenment. But rationalism basically says, if I don't understand it, I don't have to believe it. Well, rationalism does exactly the opposite of what scripture tells you to do. Rationalism leans on its own understanding, and that becomes the filter for truth. But if you honestly read scripture, it's an extremely supernatural book. Old Testament, there's mm-hmm, supernatural yeah. realism all through it. In the New Testament, supernatural realism all through it. And so in the West, Western Christianity is really not biblical Christianity. Uh, it's It's been defanged, so to speak. Uh, It's had all, it's been castrated. It doesn't have any life or virtue left in it uh, because it's just a Western form of religious rationalism. Mm. And see, I I speak about this all over the world, but in America, people are scared to death to have me come to their church because they're like, well, you're not going to teach about exorcisms, are you? You're not going to talk about angels or demons. Well, that's really the subject of the Bible is um, right. uh, the interaction between real celestial beings, both fallen and those that are in the, team, of God. the
2: kingdom team. Yeah.
0: But, but anyway, you know that's what the book's about is, is this convergence on Earth of these kingdoms fighting for one another to the point that when uh, Jesus' disciples said, "What should we pray for?" He said pray that the kingdom of heaven will be established in the earth so that the will of God can be done in the earth in the same way it's done in the heavens. And though that is the central theme, that's what Jesus told his disciples to pray about, the church in the West doesn't believe that. They don't even believe that it can happen or will happen. Uh, They're certainly not a part of making it happen. And so I, I have very low regard for Western religion. I call it the Great American Religious Enterprise. And it's essentially powerless. It's void of efficacy for, for anybody. It does nobody any good, which is why America fell to hell in a handbasket with a church on every corner. But yeah. uh, those pastors, you think about a pastor uh, confronting a demon. 99% of the pastors in America were afraid to confront a, a trumped-up flu virus. I mean, think about that. You know, the COVID con happens like, oh, my God, let's all stay home and, you know, put a bag over our head or something so we won't get the flu. So we're a million miles from authentic Christianity. And not only is there all that backdrop of religion, 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 which religion always militates against spiritual realism. But not only is there all that. Uh, but there is a, a massive problem with good old fashioned cowardice. Like Cheryl and I have had gangbangers in our house for 30 years. You know, we take people in off the street, demonize to the hair roots. I, I can tell you stories all day long, guys, uh, mm. about wild deliverances because we've been doing it, you know, since 1997 and doing it almost constantly. Mm. So, anyway. Mm. But to be able to do that, you have to actually believe, not just preach about it once in a while. You have to actually believe that because God is with you, you have nothing to fear. That's what David Mm -hmm. said. God is with me. I do not fear evil. And evil comes in a lot of uh, shapes and sizes. But if you don't fear it, then you don't fear it. And so, you know, a, a demonized guy would... We just, the last guy that lived with us was, he's uh 270 pound, big old boy. His uh, his uh, street name is Psycho Mike. You know what berserker spirits are? You ever heard of berserker yeah, spirits? like the
2: Vikings. Yeah, yeah, the Vikings, right? Yeah, yeah was, they did The, yeah, the berserkers. Exactly. Yeah. The
0: berserkers. But they transmogrify people into, you know, superhuman beasts, right? And that's what shut down the Romans when they were trying to take over that part of the world. That's why they built the wall. Remember the wall that said, this is the end of the world? What they were saying is, whatever the heck is over there is otherworldly. Mm. This is the end of the Mm. world as we know it. That's because of the Picts, the P-I-K-S, the Picts. They were Odin worshipers, and they conjured berserker spirits. And one berserker would take on a whole Roman legion. And so anyway, but my point is, Mm. uh, here we had psycho Mike who had berserker spirits living in our guest bedroom. Yeah, he went demonic and came after me with the butcher knife uh, twice. But that would scare the bejeebers out of most Christian leaders. And what that tells you is even though they know the verses about fearing no evil, they're not living in the power, the reality of that verse. They are afraid of evil because they, they question whether or not God's with them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the state of the great American religious enterprise in America, it's very, very weak. It's very powerless. That's why it's lost credibility. And so many people, there are millions of people that just quit going to church because they thought, well, what's the point? There's there's no significant life impact to this. It's just sort of like a religious social club. And I tell you what, you have a church that the, someone's liable to go demonic any given uh, meeting, it changes everything. And the mm-hmm. you know, what happens, is, like at Glad Tidings, of. I did this a couple of uh, months ago. I said, how many people here have cast a demon out of somebody? Almost the entire group put their hands up, including teenagers. Like, yeah, I've done that. Well, when you get a group of people like that, religious people don't fit in well and like attracts like. So uh, right now we have a guy moving here that heard that we did deliverance. I just talked to him a couple of days ago. And I said, yeah, if you want to throw down and get it on, come join our happy club. We we are, one of our mottos is get free, stay free, help other people get free.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Let's go John Wayne. Let's go John Wayne on it. <laughs> Exactly. i love that dude yeah. <laughs> like i was thinking like you know for the for the more for the younger people with like liam neeson yeah they're exactly like you know right. i'm just about to right you know i have a certain i have a certain particular set of skills that right and, and right this exactly is, this is dave, yeah this is dave gro- rolling in being like
0: <laughs> that's
1: all right all right all right well it's got to be hard it's got to be hard to relate we 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 entered you know dan deval dan Duvall's yeah name? i know dan okay i
0: did some stuff with them back at sid ross a few years ago you
1: remind me of you're in this space, you're so deep in. He he said on our show he's like, "I have a hard time relating with average people because I'm so far down this rabbit hole." Right. And yeah. it's controversial when 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 those kinds of guys come on our show, you can see it rattles it rattles the cages of a lot of Christians who listen and yeah. sort of have everything in nice neat boxes and then guys yeah. like you and Dan just dump them all out and be like, "Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk," right? Yeah. So. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but I think you make a great point, and we've talked about it on the show, Dave, is that um, when you get out of the West, you get to sub-Saharan Africa, you get to go to Haiti, you go to the Caribbean, you go to Southeast Asia, you get you get something, you get like the places you talked about. You they live in a very real exactly. supernatural paradigm, right? Like when exactly. you're sick, you go see the witch doctor, and they do and they do rituals, right? Right, and. and there are they interact with 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 the with the spiritual that that is part of the culture, right? And, Absolutely. And, and I think that's why I, there's such, in some ways, there's such a knee jerk reaction in the West is because it has been taken out of our out of our cultural paradigm, right? Yeah. This This idea that, in a lot of ways, that that the supernatural is is something else. It's some it's woo woo. It doesn't it doesn't exist in the empirical world. Right. And yet, so that's why I, I love having these conversations because it's always a great reminder that we. The Bible is very, very, we'd say blurry on our show, but very, very supernatural. There's a, there's a, there was no, there's no division of that. Old Testament, New Testament, as you said, right? There's, there was no, that was the paradigm they lived in. That is, and that is the reality of, of the paradigm we actually live in, whether you acknowledge it or not. Paul talks about it, right? Says that the, what's the unseen is more real than what we see, et cetera. Right. Right. People who listen to the show are probably tired of me saying this, but this is something that comes up. And just a reminder, this is, this is very biblical. We're talking about things that, you know that that we're finding biblical basis for scripture, scriptural basis for that you know that Christ did, and, and right. And so, yeah, I, I love these stories, man. I, I feel like we could we could turn a six, do a six hour podcast, and mm-hmm. I would love to get into the to some of your other stories. Probably at another time if you do a follow up, because I think yes. you've got so much cool stuff to share. You've you've been in the trenches, as you say, since ninety yeah. seven. And I really love, I really love that you're from Yuba City, man. <laughs> I, not from, but you're in Yuba City because it, it is. Yeah. It's a place like I, I can. I can put my finger on the map, but I've been through there yeah. hundreds of times, right? Like I can picture you at Glad Tidings, right? Nate Nate practicing the back in the back of the church. Nate That's was back awesome. there. So the young ginger That's just awesome. living his band living his band dreams. Yeah. There's something special going on. <laughs> That's <there>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we're and we're grateful. So tell everybody, Dave, where they can where they can find your work, perhaps interact with some of the things you're doing or interact with you directly, because I know that people will wanna on our show will want to peruse what you know your books, website, whatever it is you're doing and, and check, yeah. and check it out. Um, even maybe even reach out. So let everybody know where they can do that.
0: Okay. Right. Uh, so it's church of glad that's church of glad You can go, uh, there's a store. You can get, uh, my book, the serpent, and the savior there, or you can get any of the Isaiah 61, uh, summit that we do. It's, uh, coming up again in October if anybody wants to join us live we're going we do it every six months at Glad tidings and then we do it around the world as you know as we schedule things. but anyway, uh, twice at home it's coming up the second week of October and uh, that's a full week. We start on a Monday Monday night, then we go uh, from nine to nine on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. We have breaks, of course, for lunch and dinner, but that's really full, 9 to 9. And then we end Friday at about uh, 12 or 1. And the whole week, we're focused on spiritual warfare and deliverance. Uh, We have teaching. We have opportunity to pray over people. There's private sessions, and then we do corporate deliverance sessions, So uh, you can sign up for that. But all of those different sessions from the Isaiah 61, you can get those in CDs or DVDs at the website there. Mm, So again, it's churchofgladtidings.com. And you can get everything you might need to get there. Also, uh, I'm GT Dave at Truth Social. A lot of people follow me there. That's GT Dave at Truth Social. And then the last thing I want to say, if there's uh, young people out there that have little regard for religion, but want to really get it on and true spirituality, uh, we are starting a school of champions. Uh, We're starting it in January and it's going to be hip hop and happening. And it's, I don't know of any school like this anywhere in the world because we're, we're doing the stuff. We're not just talking about it. So mm. that's School of Champions. You can check that out on our website also. And if you're, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. So, but if if you want to shuck it down to the cob and get it on, then uh, think about School of Champions because it'll change your life. I guarantee mm. you that.
1: I love it. I love it. love it, Dave. I appreciate it. Dave. No days yeah. off, baby. No days off. Come on. Dave, let's go. Well, I'd love to have you back on the show and sort of give us a little bit of schooling on break down the different planes and how the spiritual world works because i think we we tap into things you you so boldly talked about you know you have this framework you understand how things work and i think a lot of times christians we look into this this whole spiritual world and we're all confused we don't really no one really taught us no one really nobody exactly. nobody has experiences to back up their claims it's just a lot of exactly you know and so we're all kind of trying to fumbling through trying to figure out what the heck's going on in our world right now right you got aliens showing up you got you got crazy attacks happening in Peru, which we're going to break down tomorrow. You've got, yep. you know, you've got disclosure happening on a government level. You've got Bigfoot coming out. You're going to go hang out with them. So. Yeah, don't forget about us there, man. I won't,
2: we'll spend some, I won't forget about you. <laughs> that is so wild, bro. Yeah. You know, you got
1: guys chasing you with knives every other day, you you know, and, and it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's 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 very encouraging to hear your story. Thank you for yeah, coming on our yeah. podcast. We have a, you bet. You know, we've got a lot of people who, who, who know something else, something's going on out there that don't necessarily know where they fit in. But right. They've had blurry experiences, and a lot of people are coming back to God. And I think it, this podcast has cha- changed Luke and I's life.
0: That's awesome, guys.
1: We sort of didn't realize what asking questions about Bigfoot would would do, and where it would take you. <laughs>
0: <it>, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, That's Hey right. man, your
2: your, your answer still it's, it's 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 on the uh, it's on the Mount Rushmore of blurry answers <laughs> about thoughts on Bigfoot. So you made it, Dave. <laughs>
0: That's right. All Put right, you up there, buddy. All right, hey,
2: well, great, great for your time. Thanks for your time today. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Have fun and uh, on back. your vacation. Yeah. If you can play Pebble there in Carmel, let me know. That's that's the uh, that's on my bucket list. Bro. Okay, yeah. All right, <laughs> All guys. Right. God bless you. Thanks, Dave right. Yes, sir. Bye. See you.